Hey everyone, this is Jason, and welcome to the Bold Moves Only podcast. For today's episode, we have Caroline Abusada, the Director General of SOS Mediterranean Suisse, a humanitarian organization that provides aid to people in distress at sea. Since 2014, they have saved thousands of people who tried to cross the Mediterranean Sea, often in boats that are not at all equipped for this journey. Thousands of people have died attempting to make this trip, and despite this, their work is still made difficult by an increasing anti-immigrant sentiment throughout Europe. Caroline also was a panelist on an event I organized earlier this year, and she was just extremely real and genuine. I am really grateful to her for all the time she has given me and for the amazing work her and her team is doing. Let's get into it. Hello, Caroline. Welcome to the Bold Moves Only podcast. Thank you. I know there are a lot of moving pieces, but can we start by having you take us through your day-to-day as the Director General of SOS Mediterranean Suisse? Ah, <laughs> that's a good question. There's no, there's no daily routine and that what makes that job that interesting. Like, for example, this morning, um, so we are in operations at the moment with the Ocean Viking, and we had a rescue that was done in the early hours of the morning. So when I, I woke up at six something and the rescue had been finished. So we have 41 people on board. So now it's like, now we're starting a new operational sequence somehow. And there's probably my time is much better understood in operational sequence and non-operational sequence, which means when the when the ship is in a, either in shipyard or at port, it's completely different than when the ship is at sea in operations, conducting uh, search and rescue operations. And that changes my entire schedule, I would say, because it's completely different. There's a small team in Switzerland, but there's people uh, from Zurich to Bern to Fribourg to Lausanne to Geneva. So we, we're not exactly a centralized organization in Geneva. Part of the job of being a director is to make sure that the team has the means to do whatever they need to do and to follow their work and to support. And we're doing uh, like a whole bunch of activities from organizing events to like conferences to uh, support uh, event to school sensitization to um, advocacy with the parliament. So there's a whole bunch of activities that we need to uh, to put in place and to follow. There's discussions with uh, humanitarian actors based in Geneva as well, which is an interesting part of my job. And the other part of the job is also to try to engage the discussion with the maritime world in Geneva. Geneva is actually, believe it or not, it's actually one of the places in the world where you have a concentration of maritime actors. So it's uh, it's for us, since we are maritime and humanitarian organization, it's extremely interesting to have all the actors in the same place here and to try and engage the discussion around search and rescue activities at sea. What does that collaboration look like? 
Like how collaborative are you and all the other organizations? It's probably easier to discuss with the, the humanitarian world. So we have a partnership at the moment with the International Federation of the Red Cross and Red Cross and Societies. And we're also in discussion with the International Committee of the Red Cross because of the missing migrants a part of our job. And it's, it's an easy discussion, I would say. It's like the same, uh, the same ways of working, the same principles. Um, same with Doctors Without Borders or other organizations that are more emergency-oriented. Then we have the, the group of the UN, the United Nations uh, agencies around what we do. So the, the United Nations High Commissioner uh, for Refugees, um, the International Organization for Migration, um, those are agencies with which we discuss from time to time. We have a regular dialogue on the, especially on the evolution of the context on what's happening at sea, what's happening in North Africa, um, because it always has an impact on what we do uh, at sea. And then with the maritime world, it's, um, it's a much slower process because it's, it's not at all the same culture. I mean, the maritime sector in Geneva is the is mainly the it's a private sector companies so they they still have a very an interesting take on the legal obligation of rescuing uh, people in distress at sea so that's something that does matter to them but then they're under so much pressure from many different sides including the uh, the need for decarbonization of the entire fleet that it's it's something that has to be put back on their priority list. It's not an easy dialogue, I would say. Not in the sense that it's a difficult one, but in the sense that we need to establish the discussion with them on uh, this need and this legal obligation to rescue people uh, at sea. Right. And when you are operational, when the Ocean Viking is out on the water, how does it function? So we are a weird organization in the sense that we... There's four national associations uh, uh, at the moment. There's uh, Germany, France, Italy, and Switzerland. And we have an operational department, which is based in Marseille in, uh, in France. And they're the direct link with the ship. So it's people based in Marseille that are handling the, it's not the daily routine, it's the minute by minute day on board the ship because there's a, a whole part of what we do is the search part. So we're looking for uh, embarkation in distress, so either because the maritime authorities are giving us coordinates of embarkation in distress, or airplanes are actually flying above the Mediterranean Sea, and they are telling us, oh, we've spotted one embarkation there, can you please proceed? And then we coordinate with the the maritime authorities and we proceed to the to the location or we also have a 24 7 uh, deck watch watch with a with a binoculars so we are, we have someone on the deck uh, watching uh, for embarkation in distress for example the one we conducted this morning uh, was spotted like that the, it was like a half a mile from the ship it was already sinking and we were lucky enough to 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 be in the vicinity and we we could rescue everyone. And that's the tricky part of the operation is that you never know whether you're going to be able to 
reach the embarkation on time to avoid uh, anyone dying at sea. And it's always a, a very difficult balance to, to, to make, including when we're, for example, stuck at port for several reasons. We know that while we're not at sea, there's probably embarkation uh, um, trying to cross and probably people dying. So it's, it's also a difficult uh, thing to realize for the teams. And why do you get stuck? Why, do you, why does the, the ocean biking get stuck at port? So it depends. There's a, there's a whole bunch of reasons that actually... Uh, so one is um, the, the disembarkation process uh, since few months is taking more time than it used to be. Uh, so before we were able to disembark people in a, like in a couple of hours and, and then that was it. We had uh, circumstances in the last year or so where we had to take three days uh, because the, uh, the uh, authorities would stop the disembarkation and then resume it the day after and then stop again. And then we had like uh, circumstances where it took three days uh, to disembark everyone, which is, which is difficult also in terms of uh, managing the survivors, managing the psychological uh, distrust. From then we have the, the cleaning of the ship, the quarantine uh, because of the COVID, all the protocols have changed. So we have, if we have a COVID positive uh, case on board as a quarantine, and then we have to clean the ship, resupply. And from time to time, uh, we have an inspection and they do have an interpretation of, of rules and particularly security rules that are very particular, I would say. For example, in January, we were uh, detained for 17 days for several uh, reasons. There was a discussion between the Norwegian authorities and the Italian authorities to try and solve the matter. And at the end of the day, the matter was solved in 17 days, but still it was 17 days where we were stuck in Sicily and couldn't go back at sea. And how much of these difficulties come from opposition that you face from governments? It's a tricky question because there's a... So we do have, at the moment, the only place where we're authorized to disembark people is Italy. So up to now, Italy is still taking the, the major toll uh, of the situation. They are doing much more than any other European state uh, at the moment with very little help from uh, European uh, neighbors. And they've been asking for help for quite some time now. We are particularly concerned by the, the upcoming elections in Italy because the, the future doesn't look very bright for operations like ours as migration was being used uh, as one of the main topics during the uh, electoral uh, campaign. So it's, it's a bit complicated to point fingers at Italy too much while the, the only state at the moment is still allowing us to disembark people. For example, Malta doesn't even pick up the phone anymore. They're actually not responding to their legal obligations. Uh, they're not coordinating search and rescue operations at sea, which is a legal ob obligation from states. It's a, it's a complicated issue, I would say. I saw that attempted crossings of the central Mediterranean Sea are up 44% compared to last year. And whenever I read your updates that you post, you are going out and saving hundreds of people at a time. Can you paint a picture of how serious this is and how important the work that SOS Mediterranean 
and other similar NGOs are doing is? Well, maybe let's start with two figures. So um, since 2014, it is considered that more than 24,000 people uh, have died trying to cross the Central Mediterranean corridor, which is the roughly the, the Tunisia, Libya, towards Italy, Malta, uh, somehow corridor. With both the Aquarius, which was the first ship we chartered and then now the Ocean Viking, we have rescued 36,364 people, I think, since this morning. Adding the 41 people being rescued this morning. Um, with one uh, operation, somehow, we've been able to rescue quite a, a lot of people. It's just um, sad, actually, to when I remember when I when I started the SOS Mediterranean in Switzerland, so it was five years ago, and I remember people telling me, ah, but you know, like this story in two three months it's over. So you know, you're gonna have to open and then shut down your association very very quickly. The problem is that five years after, we still have. Uh, huge numbers of crossing. Like, for example, in 2021, we know that the death rate has increased up to 41%, which means that there's, there's more people dying at sea in 2021 than there was the, the four years before, because the, the other time when there was um, such a high level of uh, death was 2017. So it's not getting any better. We're still in the same position where there's no European assets at sea, neither for the rescue itself, nor for the search, nor for the for the coordination. So it's it's still a, it's still extremely problematic. The last attempt was the Mare Nostrum operation, which was an Italian operation that helped rescue the 150,000 people and was ended under the pressure of the European Union in 2014. Uh, since 2014, there, there was no European state operation led in the Mediterranean uh, Sea. So it's only NGOs and commercial ships conducting search and rescue operations. And with one organization, we've been able to rescue over 36,000 people. So it gives you an idea of how many people are actually crossing and how many people are actually dying. We also have the phenomenon we carefully call invisible shipwreck. So we, we know there's a lot of embarkation that are actually trying to cross and not making it and with numbers of people that are not exact. So we, we don't know exactly the number of people who unfortunately are dying at sea. And do you think the severity of this problem is getting through to people, not necessarily governments, but actual people? I'm not sure because I realize, so I'm, I'm giving uh, speeches on SOS probably every week. I have like uh, one or two occasions where I'm able to, to explain what we do, how we do it. And there's always someone coming up and saying, ah, it's extremely interesting what you're saying because I didn't know. What was the situation in the Mediterranean Sea until until I heard you? And I was like, well, 20, in 2022, the situation at sea has been going on for, what, six, seven years now, to that scale, I mean. And we still have people 
not knowing anything about what's happening. A situation like uh, Ukraine was extremely visible. I mean, everybody knows what's happening in, uh, in Ukraine at the moment, that people had to be displaced, that people had to flee. Um, even in Switzerland, borders were open. They received uh, over 50,000 people in Switzerland uh, only. But I, to be honest, at some point, I don't know what should be done to remind people or to just not remind is probably not even the proper word, but to to tell people what's going on at sea. Hmm. I mean, do you have any ideas as to how you could reach a broader audience? To be honest, that's what we're trying to do with the we call ourselves a citizen organization because we are really working with a citizen in Switzerland. For example, we have nine volunteers antenna in nine different uh, regions of Switzerland, German speaking and French speaking. And they are organizing events and, and conferences to, to try to reach different audiences and try to explain what's the situation uh, at sea. But at some point, it's, it's not always easy to, uh, to, to be able to reach audiences that are not all already interested by the topic. So, for example, I know that when we organize a conference in, uh, in Geneva, for example, I know pe the people who will attend the conference, most of the time they actually know what's happening at sea and who we are and what we do and how we do it. It's extremely difficult, but I guess it's not only for SOS Med, but like more globally, it's difficult to engage people, I would say. Especially in, in a time like now where there's a lot of insecurities with the COVID and now with the war in Ukraine. And then people are actually scared for their own future, for the future of their children. So it's, it's very difficult to get them to, to have some empathy on, on the fate of other populations to whom they don't necessarily feel close to yeah i mean just kind of building off that you mentioned ukraine i've already heard your thoughts on this before you know we discussed the hypocrisy with the solidarity that ukrainian refugees have received versus many other people coming from different countries such as the people that you have to save out at sea I had an interesting interaction with a couple the other day who are hosting a Ukrainian family that fled the war. And they were just like, oh, you know, it's what you do. Anything we can do to help. And, it, you know, it's an incredible thing to do to open your home to someone who's escaping such a situation. And there are many people flocking to support Ukrainians in such a difficult time, which, again, is incredible. And I'm really happy to see. But like, what about literally everyone else. Uh, you read some of the stories that you share on your website, on your LinkedIn, on your social medias, and they're heartbreaking. Like the pain, the suffering that they went through that led them to risking their lives to make this journey across the Mediterranean. Why did they not deserve the same reception? But it's, it's interesting because um, I was doing an interview recently with a journalist from the, from the Swiss radio. And at some point, her question was, I thought, slightly weird, but she says, so what, how do you feel when you see women and children fleeing Ukraine? And my answer was exactly the same as I'm feeling when I see, uh, you know, Syrian women and children having to leave uh, their country or any other population having to flee their country because of war. Because I, 
no one should actually experience that. And I thought it was um, it was interesting to see. And it's also in terms of uh, like more globally what it means for for Switzerland, for example. It's interesting to see that they feel close to Ukraine, but they don't feel close to other situations. And I'm I'm still and I don't have the answer, but I'm. It's really one of the main discussions we have at the moment is how can you create this feeling of closeness to the suffering of other people? How, how is it possible to make people living in Switzerland at least aware, at best interested and, and you know, touched by situations that are not happening on European soil? And I don't have the answer, unfortunately. But what do you think that we've learned from all of this in terms of what is actually possible in terms of protecting those fleeing their countries? Well, to be, to be honest, there was a, it's still very impressive to see the, the capacity and the, and, the, and the solidarity that was shown towards Ukraine. And, and it was a beautiful thing to see. The fact that we were able to open the borders to welcome over 50,000 people, uh, give them uh, working permits straight away, also the, the possibility to be hosted either by families or in apartments or in places. So in a way, it actually means that, uh, and it shows that it's it's feasible to do so. What we asked several times to, to Switzerland was to use its capacity as a state to put other states around the table to discuss the matter of, uh, of the Mediterranean Sea and of search and rescue operations. To be honest, I think it's going to be hard in the next weeks, months, years to have the same narrative as before the Ukrainian uh, situation to say, ah, oh, no, we can't. We, you know, it, it was... Uh, the Prime Minister of France who said at some point, we can't host all the misery of the world. If I recall properly, it was Michel Rocard who actually said that. And, uh, and in a sense, what happened with Ukraine showed that it's, it's possible to open somehow the borders and to welcome people fleeing a conflict. And those are mechanisms that legally already exist. I mean, there was there's, there's a mechanism that allows the opening of borders and a system to host people in case of a massive emergency that was not used for the Syria crisis. My hope is that in the next month or years, whenever we still you know, use that argument that no, we can't, we can't show solidarity because we can't have them arriving uh, in Switzerland or any other states in Europe, that what has been done for Ukraine showed the contrary, that actually it's, it's feasible. And not only it's feasible, but it, it, should be, it should be done for legal, moral grounds. Right. And is there something from your work that you hold on to that gives you hope that when things get difficult, you look back on this thing to help you keep pushing and try to look forward? To be honest, every single rescue we do uh, reminds me exactly why why I'm doing that <laughs> that job. I mean, this morning when I got the news that 41 people were safe on board the ship, you know, that's 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 enough. And one, you know, if if 
even if it was only one person, uh, that would be enough to, to, to keep going. At the end of the day, we've been able to rescue people. We're still able to rescue people, and that's that's more than enough. I mean, I knew exactly where I was going when I decided to launch SOS Mediterranean in Switzerland, but it's just a rescue reminds me all the time why exactly we are doing that. And and we're still meeting people. Like last week, I was uh, at the Bain des Paquis, and someone from the Bain des Paquis came to me and said, Ah, you know, I, I heard you talking about what you're doing with SOS Mediterranean, and I was very touched because I'm from Morocco, and I know people who have tried to cross uh, the Mediterranean Sea, and they actually died. And so it's it's important that organizations are still, you know, doing that job, and that you're you're still basically keeping keeping up the, the fight. And that's yeah, that's that's enough fuel for a while. And how can people listening support you and SOS Mediterranean? Well, there's several ways to support. The easiest one somehow is, of course, to donate because that that, that was one of, uh, of the, the effect of the Ukrainian war is that the fuel costs have dramatically increased and we have a, it has completely destroyed our, our budget and we're missing a, a, like a huge amount of money. But then volunteering is uh, is also extremely important for us. So you can uh, reach out and see if there's a an, uh, volunteer antenna next to your place, or settle your own volunteer antenna and participate in yeah in spreading the word, in reminding your your friends, family that what's happening at sea and that it's it's still very important that it stays up on the agenda. Um, last question, something I ask everyone, what would you say to someone who wants to make a difference, but doesn't know where to start? Someone who wants to make a positive impact, but doesn't know where to start. To, to be honest, in every single city where I lived, there were organizations trying to work for, yeah, even poor people, like the COVID crisis, for example, showed how much, how many poor people and destitute people we had in Geneva. You have amazing organizations working in your neighborhood. That would be a first step. Go volunteer at a popular um, soup. I don't know if you said that in English. We call that soup popular in, in French. But uh, you have, yeah, organizations doing amazing work at neighborhood level. And that's, that would be a very good way to start. And vote. I'm, I'm, you know, I still believe in democracy and I still believe that voting is probably the easiest way to actually make a difference uh, in the type of society we want to live and live in. 100%. Well, on that, thank you so much for joining the Bold Moves Only podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. Okay, thank you so much for listening. If you want to support, you can check out their website, sosmediterranean.org, where they give you different options. You can follow SOS Mediterranean and Caroline on Twitter as well to get regular updates from the work they're doing. Have a great day. Let's be bold.